Good morning. Fourth of July weekend. Your attendance today counts as double. Congratulations. Uh, my name is Matt Zielich. I'm the student life pastor here. And uh, as Cameron uh, introduced this morning, we just returned from our high school beach camp. It was a, an amazing experience. Uh, we went away to California, did some service projects, uh, got involved in the community, spent some time on the beach, and just built some relationships. Our last day, we went to Disneyland, and then on Friday, that was all day Friday, and then drove through the night and got here Saturday morning. Uh, and here I am today. So I promise you, I'll give you everything I got, all 8% of what's left. Um, no, I'm excited this morning. I really actually have been looking forward to today for quite a while. Um, we've been going through the book of Philippians, so I'd invite you to turn to that now. We're going to go through chapter four. Maybe this morning you're like, what? We've been going through Philippians? Uh, just pretend like you're like with it, and uh, we're, we'll finish it up today, and you'll be right along. Um, but we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4 and start in verse 10. Um, and I want to read a, a chunk of this and then kind of uh, slow down and, and work through it in, in sections. Um, but before we do that, as you turn to Philippians chapter 4, you can jump to verse 10. Um, let's, just, let's just open up our hearts and our minds for, for God's word. Um, let's pray. God, I thank you for um, the transforming work of your spirit and of your truth. And right now we want to take a posture of openness in our hearts and our minds that we can receive it and that it will work in us. God, let us see what it is you need us to see as individuals here and as a church community. Amen. Philippians chapter four, we're gonna read verses 10 through 20, a good chunk, and then we'll break it down. It says this. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it was with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from your glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. So with this letter, um, I love Paul's honesty in this section. He, he breaks it down and he even says, thank you for thinking of me. Thank you for remembering me. And that stands out to me because I think at different points in my life, I've asked this question like, am I thought of? Am I cared for? 
Is anyone remembering that, that I exist? I think I see that a little bit more than, than normal in student ministry because we work with, with middle school students and high school students who are out there trying to find their place in the world, trying to feel valued, and they're asking that question all the time. Does anyone care about me? Is anyone looking out for me? Do I matter? Or have I been forgotten? This morning, um, I want to look almost exclusively at two verses in this section of Scripture. It's verse 13 and 14. I kind of want to spend the rest of our time in these two passages. It says this, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. When I look at this verse... I see two needs revealed, two spiritual needs revealed through Paul's letter. Uh, The first one is in verse 13. It's the need to abandon our strength for God's strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We must abandon our strength for God's strength. And the second one um, is the need for community, for the support of a community to share in our difficulties. And that's what he explains in this letter. When I was uh, thinking about like this morning for uh, a few weeks ago and I saw on the schedule like this is the verse uh, that I'd be teaching on, uh, Philippians 4.13. It's like a very common verse. It's one that's like recited time and time again. Uh, I instantly thought about our middle school camp that we had like three or four weeks ago. Uh, we go to camp every single year, and it is amazing. And, um, and I love, this is a disclaimer, I love middle school camp. It is like an amazing experience, life-changing, an important step to any student's development. But try to just imagine for a moment what it's like to get 500 middle schoolers in one space. And when I say middle school, like these are kids just fresh out of fifth grade and those that are going into eighth grade. And like you get them all together in one location. And it is, it's so fun. But, and, and you hear the stories, like you come back and they're like, they, they tell all these stories, they're so happy, they're excited. They talk about how rainbows shoot across the sky and it rains candy and everything's great. But there are other stories. There are scarier untold stories that happen at a middle school camp. So we go to camp uh, three weeks ago. We drive to California, and the campground is just gorgeous. It's in the mountains. There's like a little stream that flows through the whole camp, and it, and it stretches out like uh, across like several acres of land. So like there's a lot to do. There's a lot of different places that you can go. It is amazing. It is beautiful. We love it. So we take our students, and we drive to camp, And like when we get there, the first thing you have to do is you have to check in and then send everyone to their cabins. And while you send all the students to their cabins and they can unload all their stuff, they call for all of the leaders, all of the chaperones to like come together for a leader meeting. It's like the first thing that we have to do. And when we do this leader meeting, what we're doing is we're preparing um, for the week. We're going over the schedule. um, We're praying for strength and... um, And it's funny because like I remember getting to the camp and I was just so excited and it was gorgeous and it was like the light was shining through the trees. And we go to this meeting and then I come out of the meeting and the first thing I see is a boy in the distance and his hair is matted 
and his clothes are torn and he's got mud all over his face and he had a stick that he fashioned into a spear and he's walking around very slowly with like a twitch in his eye and I'm like, what has happened in this place? It's like Lord of the Flies. They just like start to take over. And I'm thinking to myself, like I'm trying to be cool on the outside. Like, okay, we've got this. But on the inside, I'm like, we've lost control. We've lost control of the camp. It's going to be anarchy. We, we can't do anything. We're, we're, in, we're in danger here. And so it's funny because I think about like camp. And um, for any of you, I'm, I'm sure uh, some of you in here, like if you've ever watched like a, like a, a scary movie, uh, like a horror film, like one of the things that whenever I've seen a, a horror film, like a scary movie, one of the things that drives me crazy is when you're watching, the people that are involved in this situation, they always do the wrong thing. And you're like, no, don't do that, don't do that. Like, but you can't, you're just watching helplessly and you think, if I was in that situation, I would not do that. But, but in the movie, like, the phone lines are dead, the car won't start, there's no connection with the outside world, everyone like, is running and tripping and falling down. And you're like, oh, it's so frustrating to watch. I feel like if someone were to watch me from the outside, looking in, that would be the same experience. They're like watching me like, oh no, what are you doing? Because like the first thing we do is like we do our sessions and then we get out to camp. Um, and then the session's over and it's like dark outside and we're walking around in the woods. And I remember I'm just like, I'm like walking by myself, reflecting and it's dark. And then I hear like this, this like rustling in the bushes. It's like, and I'm like, Hello? And like you hear like this creepy childlike giggle. <laughs> Who's there? Hello? And I get this feeling like I need to move. I can't stay here. I'm not, I, gotta, I gotta get going. I, I gotta go to my cabin. So I start walking and I start walking fast and I'm doing like this weird speed walk where I'm like salsa dancing because I'm just trying to get out of there. And I get to my cabin and I feel like, okay, I'm safe. I'm safe. And I open the door and the second I step in, I'm like, oh no, there's signs of struggle. Everyone's stuff is everywhere. What has happened in this place? And I close the door and I see like the, the knob behind me start to jiggle and I'm like, oh no, what do I do? So I hide in the closet I hide, and I close the door and I can hear them rummaging on the outside and I'm just sitting there praying and I'm like, Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me strength. I can do this. Middle school camp is terrifying, but I can, do, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's like what the experience is like at times. Like we call upon God and I think about this verse that it's like, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at my lowest point. I can't do this. I need God to give me strength. And I think sometimes like my relationship with this verse, I've seen it so many times. I think that sometimes like I have read it out of context and I imagine that it, it operates like this. Like I, I have my strength, like I, I work to this strength and then that's just not enough so I have to like call on God and then he will like throw a thunderbolt down at me and it will shock me and I'll get like that Popeye boost of strength when he eats the spinach and, uh, and I'm like, I can do anything. I'm with students, yes, let's do this. Candy for dinner, let's do it. Like we'll stay up all night. I've got all this strength through God because he just zapped it into me. Like that was kind of how I've, almost thought about this verse at times, but when we look at the context, when we look at it in one big chunk, that's not exactly like the, the way Paul is using it. He talks about how the reason he's able to do things through the strength of God 
is because there's times when he has nothing. He, he is like empty. That's all he has to offer. Like there's nothing there. And he talks about how he's learned to be content with nothing. He doesn't have these expectations or these conditions of God that like he has to operate or function within this idea that he has. He says, no matter the circumstances, even when I've got nothing, I can do it. I can move forward because it's God who supplies this strength. And I think that is at times where I know I've failed significantly. Because for me, I'm like, I'm like a fixer. Like if, a, if something's bad, I want to just go in and fix it. When I was young, I remember like if my, my mom and my sister would get into arguments. Um, I was in college and she's like going through high school. And so they just always fight. And I'd go and I'd try to fix the situation. I'd try to fix the problem. That's what I would do. I'm like, I don't want you guys to fight. I want to go fix it. Um, I do the same thing with my dad, like just all these members of my family, my friends, I just want to go in and, and fix it because I've always felt like if I just work hard enough, if I just do what I need to do, I can make it work. And sometimes that means like I have to call on the strength that I thought I didn't have, but I've got it somewhere. If I can just conjure up my strength, it's there. I tap into it and I can accomplish anything. I can, I can do this. And, and living by that mentality, what, what started happening to me was like I was completely dependent on myself. Like I, I, I got super uh, uncomfortable with the thought of help or people stepping in and, and giving me assistance in, in whatever way it was necessary. Like, no, 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 I don't need help. I, don't need, I can do this. I can fix this. I can work on this. And over time, that's just my pattern. That's just what I did. That's how it worked. And it got to this point where I started to realize it was really destructive for me to do that. Because I thought of, like, if I can't do something on my own, if I can't do something with my strength, that's, that constitutes failure. I'm a failure. And I, will re I refuse to accept that. So I will just work harder, work harder, work harder. And that was kind of how I lived my life for, for a long time. Um... So my, this has been like a really busy season uh, for me. I finished my master's program, and uh, my wife is pregnant with our first. It's going to be a boy, and we're really excited. Yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so excited. Yeah, pray for me. Uh, I'm going to train him to be a ninja and fight crime. So I'm, I'm really, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and things are good. Like, we're, we're planning for the future. We're excited uh, and, and, and we're, at, we're at a stage of life right now where, like, I'm just so optimistic. I'm so happy. I'm so thankful. Um, I, I tell you that right now because a year ago, that was not the case at all. Um, sometimes you kind of need to know, like, how's the story going to end? Because I don't want to put you in this moment of tension. Um, things end good. That's where we are right now. Um, but I think it's important, especially in light of what Paul is doing with his church he's reaching out to, um, is he kind of opens up and he shares and, and he's transparent. And um, a year ago, like, I was, I was in a really, really bad place, to be honest with you. And, and especially, like, my marriage was in a really, really bad place. Um, what ended up happening was we've been married for six years 
And uh, in the early, fa- I think back to like the early phases where, you know, you, you, you fall in love, you date someone, you fall in love, everything's happy and exciting. And then like you're engaged and then you have that first year of marriage and it's really kind of challenging because uh, it's like all a new experience to you, but you get through it. Like that was our story. That was what we were doing. But we like that first year we had, we would just fight and argue and we never like really resolved it. We never we never figured out a healthy way to interact and to build upon our relationship. And so like what was one year became like the norm for us, became like a pattern. And maybe if you look back to that first year, you're like, okay, you know, that's, they go through the same things that like everybody goes through. They, they, they bicker, they fight, whatever. But like as the years went on, like it just got worse and worse and worse. And our fights, our arguments, we would fight over the dumbest stuff, but it would get just toxic. I mean, unbelievable. It was, it was destructive, absolutely destructive. And I want to say that to you now because I, I, almost, I almost have this fear like, oh, no, 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 like, man, come on. That's like you're, because, and I say this, and maybe you don't feel this way, and that's great, but like our students, we want to live out this good example of marriage, and so our students all the time say, well, you guys are like perfect, you're this perfect couple, and I'm like, that's not true. Like, we have our, our struggles, we have our issues, and I'm, I am happy to destroy that image that, that anyone may have, because it's just being real. We have to be real and transparent. Um, so our, our fights got super destructive, and uh, a year ago, it came to a point, this is, this is after a long time, that, that my wife said, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this marriage. I don't think this is going to work, and I'm, I'm taking steps to end this. Now, I have reservations sharing that with you because my fear is that, like, maybe you'll think what I thought in the moment when I got that, like, how could she? How could she? Like, you made a commitment. That's what I said. Like, you made a commitment. How You can't do this. In fact, this was almost my posture. Like, how dare you? You're wrong. You can't do this. You have to work through this. But I'm happy to say right now that, like, that decision that she made to, to come and confront me with that and to put boundaries on our relationship was the healthiest thing I'd ever experienced because of that same problem I had, that I'd try to fix it myself and I couldn't do it, and I'd fail time and time again. And two years ago, so a year before this moment where she came to me and said, like, I can't do this, we're done, um, we, had, we, had an, we were with family, and you know when you're with family, like, there's no tension at all. Everything's great. <laughs> so we're with family, and like, it's the third day, and it's just wearing on me. And I can't, and it's with my family. My family's driving me nuts. And that causes tension within my marriage. And so we have this argument, and it, at, at, up until this point, like, it had, you know, we'd say mean things, but I just got to this point where I was just, like, emotionally and verbally abusive, just putting her down. And that really stems from my insecurities. It stems from some stuff in my past that I never worked through, stuff that I never addressed or took time for. Um, and I just moved on. And my whole mentality was like, you can fix this, you can fix this. So two years ago when that happened, that was exactly what I thought. Like, you can fix this. Like, okay, I know that was bad. Don't do that again. Like, okay, okay, it got a little bit heated and, you know, you said some awful stuff. Okay, just fix it. Just fix it. Just work really hard. But don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Just, you, you have to put it on. You just got to fix it. You got to work through it. Um, this is illustrated in scripture 
almost to a T. I would say to a T. Um, I'm going to invite you guys to turn to Genesis chapter 3, um, a story probably most of you have heard. Um, this section is basically just titled uh, collectively as the fall, the fall of mankind. Uh, according to the Bible, anything that's wrong in the world, um, broken relationships, uh, destructive tendencies, uh, disconnection with God, it all comes back to this image, this idea um, that the reason that things go wrong is because there is uh, a disobedience to God's will. So in Genesis chapter 3, I want to look specifically at verses 7 and 8. But before we get there, um, what happens is God makes a garden and he, and he puts boundaries, boundaries on this garden because some things are destructive to us. We need boundaries. So he puts boundaries and says, you can do this, but you can't do this. Don't eat from this one tree in the garden. And so Adam and Eve, they're tempted into it. They're, they're seduced into it. They're tricked into it. And they eat of the fruit. They're disobedient to God. And this is what it says. This is what happens at this moment. Oh, verse 7. Look at that. At this moment. Uh, Genesis 3, 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. This moment of disobedience, this rebellion, when we seize autonomy for ourselves, we want to govern what is right and what is wrong for ourselves. To summarize, it's like in these moments when we want to become God, we experience this, this point of shame. And that describes me a year ago, that I realized like I, I, was, I was being rebellious, I was being disobedient to God, I was distant from him at, at, at different points in time. And I, and I look down and I, and I feel just naked, I feel exposed, I'm vulnerable. And so the first thing I do in that moment is I have to, I, I, fashion, I fashion these fig leaves together, I have to, I have to fashion a covering for myself because that will hide everything, that will hide my shame. So it's at this point, a year ago, after I, I'm hit with reality, I understand the severity of, of our, our, where we're at, our circumstance, and I'm kind of mentally preparing for like what's gonna happen, like I'm gonna be alone, this is gonna, this is gonna be a series of events and it's gonna all alter my whole life. And I'm terrified, like that was the most terrifying thing I'd, I'd ever been through. So I'm out driving one night and, um, and I'm, just, of course, I'm just praying talking to God. And I say to God, um, I have nothing. Like, I've got nothing left here. I have no strength. The strength I thought I had, has, it was good for nothing. It got me nowhere. I've accomplished nothing. I can't solve this through the hands of my own work. I'm lost. I'm alone. I can't do this. And as I'm driving and praying that, I get this 
overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of God speaking to me. And he said, you're right. You can't do this, but I can. So in Genesis 3, you're not going to see it on the screen. Go to your Bibles, though. And um, what happens is, is uh, we see that, that there's this awakening, there's this shame, and then, and then there's a covering. They fashion some sort of a covering. As the verse continues, um, several verses down, Scripture tells us that, um, that God fashioned them another covering out of the skin of, of animals. And, um, and I think that I've read that a lot. I've read that many times. And I've like glossed over it so quickly that I didn't think about what it was saying. But essentially it's this, that we as humans, when we rebel against God, we see our shame, we're exposed, we're vulnerable, we're naked. We want to cover. That covering, whatever we can do on our own strength, is insufficient but God makes a sacrifice and he offers us a covering for our shame. That these fig leaves that we put together, that's not good enough. So he makes these animal skins. God makes the sacrifice for us because of his love. Because he doesn't want us to be ashamed. He wants us to walk about in in, in our world with our head held high, to be restored, to be redeemed, not to be hiding from him in our fig leaf covering that we made for ourselves. So it's at this point that I'm like, okay, I know what I need. I need you, God. I can't do this. Your strength needs to be what, what drives the boat here. That's, that's what I'm relying on. And that's the first part of this, this idea in, in Philippians 4.13. I, I, can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not my, own, not my own work. Not my own accomplishments. Not by what I can fashion for myself. But there's the second part to this that Paul says. For you have done well to share with me in my difficulty. And if the first part wasn't hard, which it was, the second part was unbelievably harder. Because in order, for me to, in order for others to share in my difficulty, in order for my community to share in my difficulty, I had to tell them what was going on. I had to tell them the state that, that we were in. And so all this time I'd spent like hiding, trying to fix it for myself, I'm like, okay, I just have to get it out there. So the first thing I do the next morning is I go into the office of Michael Fay. And I say, hey, man, I don't know what you have today. You need to clear it. Like, you just need to not do anything that you had scheduled. Um, and we sat in his office, and we talked for several hours. And I just, I just confessed. I said, this is, I have anger issues. I have unresolved stuff in my life that, like, I have, I just, I've, al I've always felt like I could just do it. I could do it. I could do it. And time and time again, I failed and failed and failed. And now I've fallen harder and harder and harder. And for any of you that know Michael, like, that's, there's a reason I went to him, because he is, like, f just so full of grace and love. And the first thing he did is he stood up, and he just embraced me. He hugged me. 
And he said, you need to make some changes, but I'm here with you. I'm walking this with you. I will share in your difficulty. And then from there, within the, the course, the duration of uh, maybe a week, I told Cameron, I told Cody, I told Joe. I wrote a letter to all my best friends. I was supposed to officiate a wedding that October. I was like, nope, I can't do that. And one of my best buddies called him up and I said, I'm so sorry, but like, I, I cannot do this for you. I can't, I'm not, I'm in no place to officiate this wedding. Like, I've got my own issues. I've got to figure it out. Um, but I want you to know. I, I had to write, I wrote letters to Leah's best friends, apologizing to them for, for my behavior, um, her family members. And I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna deny it, that was like really hard to do, but I, I wanna tell you this because this is the truth of God, that with every single person I told, in the midst of my shame, there was this support this, this coming alongside and saying like, I will walk with you. I will share in your difficulty. You are not alone. And every time, I got to the point where I was like just telling everybody like, hey, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Because every time I would just say it, it felt like a burden was just released. Because for, for anybody that understands to some degree what I'm talking about, even if it's a different issue, when we try to cover our shame, when we try to hide it, it is like a burden. It gets heavy and we just get deeper and deeper and that burden becomes heavier and heavier. And then like it gets to the point where you're like, I can't be found out. Like now, now it's like too far. So like now I have to even work harder and it's just such a burden to carry. And that burden was just being let go, let go, let go. And I think about what Paul's saying, because he's writing to the early church, he's writing in a way to us as well. My question that I want to pose is, what does it look like in your life to work through these two things, um, to abandon your strength for Christ, to, sh to offer yourself that you may share in a community the struggles of one another? That's really difficult, especially the second one. And, and I'll be honest, like, this is, I'm not trying to like, you're not doing enough. Um, but what I will say is if, if your experience, your church experience is like you come to Sunday, that's good. This, there's good. There's community happening here. But realistically, we're not gonna like just all break up into pairs and like confess to each other. There's not enough time to have strength in those relationships. And so I told Cameron, I'm like, dude, I'm gonna plug your small groups coming out in the fall because that's where those relationships are formed. That's where true community lies because you get to know people and you, know, you get to know their struggles and their hurts and their pains and you walk with them. You share in that together. I'm gonna invite the, the band to come up and I wanna read just one more verse, just one more final verse uh, this morning. It's in 2 Corinthians. I'd invite you to go there now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and I'll read verse 8 through 10, um, verse 8, verse 9 through 10, somewhere in there. Um, so Paul is writing, and he's saying in, in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He, he really backs this up in this letter to the Corinthians. He says this, like before, before we get to this passage, what he's doing is he's saying like, I've seen the world. I've seen amazing things. I like 
It's, it's been incredible. Like, God has shown me visions. I've done miracles. I've brought people to the Lord. Like, I've done amazing, amazing stuff. But then he goes on and he says, but I'm not going to, like, brag about any of that stuff. I'm not going to brag about that stuff. And he describes what he calls, like, he was given a thorn in his side. And we don't, first reading, we don't know specifically what that was. I, I both love and hate that about this letter because I'm like, I'm, I want to know, but I'm like, oh, the fact that I don't know speaks a, a pretty universal truth to all of us. Um, but he describes this thorn in his side, some weakness in his life, somewhere that he's like, I can't, I can't by my own strength get it all figured out, get it all solved. And so he says, like, I had this thorn in my side in verse eight, three times, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I want to take that same posture this morning. I'm not going to, I have no intent to brag on anything I've accomplished. In fact, I'd rather just like not even have that anywhere in my mind that I can just focus on the true message of the gospel. Because the gospel is not like, hey, here's some pretty good people that are even better because of Jesus. No, no, no. The gospel is here are people with nothing. There's nothing there. They have fallen away. There's no strength. They have no power here. And yet God can redeem them. God can bring them life. God can cover that shame through his sacrifice, through his love. Let's pray. God, this morning, we thank you for your love and your grace. We want to be thankful for that every single day. God, we also thank you for Paul's story. That he's a man who's who's done great things, but he focuses, he preaches in his weaknesses because that's where you truly show your power power to save, the power to redeem. God, let us, let us take hold of these two components from Philippians 4, verse 13 and 14, that we need to abandon our strength, we need to accept your strength, and we need to be transparent and open with the community of believers around us because it is there that we find strength and support. Give us the courage and give us the guidance this morning to know what that looks like and to take that first step. In Jesus' name.